The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're having a great week. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm glad you could spend your day with us and the ones that you love. And Patreons, you got a little gift. You got an episode, finally. Right. (laughs) Patreon exclusive episode. If you want to be a Patreon supporter, you can head on over to our Patreon page and become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Um, we have different levels, so you get different access to different things depending on which level you are. You can yep. actually sign up for free. You just don't get a lot of access. Nope, you don't get a lot of access with that. This week's story, I want to give a trigger warning at first. It does involve um, the murder of a child and a sexual assault. So um, I know Chris has asked me before to kind of give him a heads up when we're going to cover something like that. So I feel like I need to give everybody a heads up because this may not be for you. Are we ready? A crime most vile, the murders of Corey and Jenna Clark. On a February day in 2004, school officials in LaPel, Indiana, were trying desperately to reach Corey Clark. She had failed to pick up her seven-year-old daughter from school, which had never happened before. When they couldn't reach her, the school contacted a family friend who was also on the contact list. The friend asked the school to send the little girl home on the bus with her own child, and then she headed over to the duplex that Corey and her husband were renting. Inside, she came across a bloody scene and the dead bodies of 26-year-old Corey Clark and her four-year-old daughter, Jenna. Who could possibly commit a crime so vile and why? Corey Coomer was born March 14, 1977 in Anderson, Indiana. Her parents were Blaine Coomer and Christine Fleming. She married John Chip Clark, and the couple had two daughters. Their youngest daughter, Jenna, was born April 16, 1999. The couple lived in a duplex in LaPel, Indiana. The young mother was looking forward to raising her children and possibly one day becoming a counselor. Jenna looked up to her older sister and was excited about starting school the following year. The Clark family were full of hopes and dreams that... All were taken away in February of 2004. On that February day, Corey was at home with her youngest daughter. Her older daughter was at school and her husband was out of town looking for work. Corey heard a knock at the front door. When she opened the door, a man asked her if he could use her phone. Remember, guys, this is 2004. Yeah, there were cell phones, but most people still had a house phone, too. It wasn't quite completely digital. No, not yet. When she opened the door um, and she let the man in, once they got inside, he attacked her. He attempted to sexually assault her. 
but he was unable to complete the rape. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but I guess in some sort of frustration or rage, he decided he was going to cut Corey's throat with a foldable hunting knife that he had. When he looked up, he saw four-year-old Jenna staring back at him in horror. This little girl just saw her mother get killed right in front of her. And then she just makes eye contact with this evil person. She was, of course, petrified. She got scared. She turned and she ran away. But a four-year-old is no match for this intruder. And so he easily caught up with her. And unfortunately, he killed Jenna as well. He slit her throat. She was so little that he cut it so deep that he almost decapitated her. That's why I gave you the trigger warning. I can't even imagine the fear she must have been in. When he was done with the murders, the man stole Corey's purse, some cash, and some decorative stones. He fled, leaving the mother and daughter lying dead on the floor of their home. The town of Lapel was devastated and shocked by this horrific crime. This is not something that happens in that area, in that community. And so for it to happen and then like not even to have an inkling as to why Corey wasn't involved in, you know, illegal nefarious activities. And I mean, Jenna was four, so she wasn't involved in anything either. So it just seems like it came out of nowhere and it didn't make sense. Detectives quickly confirmed that Corey's husband was out of town at the time of the crime. So, I mean, our first suspect is usually the spouse, but... Um, he was definitely out of town. There was no way he was responsible. There seemed to be no forced entry at the scene, but there were items stolen, including Corey's purse. Detectives also suspected a sexual assault as Corey was partially undressed. Could this have been a random home invasion gone terribly wrong or were the victims specifically targeted? The police department had no suspects and no one knew anything or any motive at all that would explain why somebody would kill a young mother and her child in their home. Right now, it just sounds like a sick fuck. Pretty much. I mean, like, I'm just kind of quiet because it's just kind of sinking in, you know? I just, it makes me sick thinking about that little girl. Yeah. The detectives canvassed the neighborhood trying to find any clues. Several of the neighbors said that they had seen a man in the neighborhood recently and they thought he was suspicious looking. Some neighbors said that they thought he was working at a nearby construction site. They were pretty sure because he had like an orange vest. So um, they keep canvassing neighbors and actually one of them says this man the day that of the murders occurred came to my door and knocked on my door and asked to use my phone but I, this neighbor would not let the man in. So she likely saved her own life. Witnesses said the man had a handicap sticker on a small, dark-colored hatchback vehicle. The police visited the construction site looking for someone matching the description given by Corey's neighbors. They asked if there was an employee who drove a dark-colored hatchback with a handicap sticker. That information was enough for multiple employees to point the finger at Frederick Bear. 
The foreman told the detectives that Fred Bear was working on February 25th, but he left midday to go to the bathroom and didn't return for over two hours. You, like, they have Johnny on the spot, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you don't know what a Johnny on the spot is, it's a porta potty. Like, who would... Why would you leave to go to the bathroom? Like, I just don't get it. Because some people, like, I mean, I can't poop in my own, like, except for in my own house. You know, some people are weird like that. I don't know. This evidence, although it was circumstantial, was enough to give police a search warrant for Fred Bear's home. During the search, the police found a camouflage backpack lying in the middle of the floor in Bear's bedroom. Inside the bag, 20 knives were found, along with jewelry and personal property. That day, February 26th, the day after the murder, police arrested Frederick Michael Bear. Once in custody, Fred Bear admitted to committing multiple rapes and burglaries. Some of the jewelry and personal items found in the backpack belong to sexual assault victims from open rape cases in nearby counties. When asked if he killed Corey and Jenna, Fred shook his head yes. However, he didn't make a confession. He denied being involved in any of the thefts, rapes, and murders at first. So, I mean, when he first came in, he's not, he's not admitting to anything. He was confronted with the evidence of the burglaries and the rapes. So he had all of these people, like his little trophies from all of these women that he attacked. And at that point, he admitted that he was a thief and a rapist. Multiple open rape cases in multiple Indiana counties were solved with this arrest of Fred Bear. He continued, though, at first to deny his involvement in the murders, saying he was targeted because he was an ex-con working nearby. He went on to say, quote, I didn't kill anybody. I usually get high on the way to work, but I'm not a violent person, end quote. He went on to say, quote, I cry when a freaking butterfly gets hit on the windshield because I love life. Did I go inside somebody's house and kill them? No. End quote. But then, of course, later he admits it. Yeah. You love so life so much that you were a, a, a serial rapist. Right. But you love life so much. Within weeks, DNA evidence from Fred Bear's car proved that he was the killer because they found Jenna Clark's blood in his car. Fred did not know Jenna or her parents, so there was no explanation other than him being the murderer for four-year-old Jenna's blood to be in his car. He then changed the story again, admitting to the crime but claiming that he heard voices that told him to kill the mother and daughter. He claimed to be high on marijuana and methamphetamines at the time of the murder. So what do you think of that? Bullshit. Like, it just seems like he's smart enough to know, like, he's not going to admit until there's evidence. And then he goes on to the next excuse. Right. While awaiting trial, the prosecutor announced they plan to seek the death penalty against Frederick Michael Bear. Meanwhile, prosecutors were given a tape-recorded call between Fred Bear and a family member. So this was a call once he was arrested, which all of those calls are always taped. So why you would talk about things, I just don't understand, but people do all the time. And 
in this recording, he basically says that he's lying to the doctors and he needs someone to help coach him before he meets with the doctors so that he knows what to say. That sounds like a real fucking winner. Right. Is what that is. Um, so his defense team enters a plea of guilty but mentally ill. Bullshit. The citizens of Indiana were enraged to learn that Frederick Bear had a long history in the criminal justice system and probably should not have been on the streets to commit this rape and murder. Frederick Michael Bear was born in October of 1971. He was the youngest of six children. He had only met his father once and certainly did not have a father figure. His stepfather, David Bear, adopted him when he was four years old. The family lived in Decatur, Illinois, until the late 70s when they moved to Indianapolis. According to Fred, this is when his family started to fall apart. He was very close to his oldest sister, Evelyn Green, but she was murdered in her home in 1983. Fred took the loss of his sister very hard, and he began to spiral out of control. He began using drugs, including marijuana, speed, acid, and cocaine. He was arrested several times as a juvenile and was sent to inpatient drug rehabilitation at least twice before he turned 18. In 1992, Fred committed a home burglary while high on cocaine. He had already been convicted once of burglary and criminal recklessness, so for this charge he earned a 14-year sentence in the Indiana Department of Corrections. In 2000, Bear requested a transfer to a a community transition program, but this request was denied. The judge cited Bear's 32 write-ups for misconduct while in prison. So, like, this is not even your model prisoner bullshit. Like, this is somebody that everybody who knows him knows he's a piece of shit. In June of 2003, he was released into a community transition program. So although his initial request was denied, three years later, they let him out with 32 write-ups in jail. Like, I don't understand how you consider a person like that. Yeah, we're not even touching on, like, anywhere close to the quote-unquote model behavior. Right. Like, like I a don't, model prisoner How does a person shit? like that get approved for community transition programs? I have no clue. So, no clue at all. Once he's back on the streets in June of 2003, he begins to commit various burglaries, sexual assaults, and ultimately the murder of two innocent people in February of 2004. So this dude wasn't even out of jail, but like seven, eight months. And he had gone on a rape spree and killed two people. And he obviously has absolutely no regard for other people whatsoever and so a lot of the citizens and even the state's attorney for the county were really upset they wanted to know how he was not kept in prison after displaying a chronic disregard for other people and the law the only thing i can think though is 1992 to 2003 so 11 years of a 14 year sentence that's really probably pretty good right yeah i mean as far like we've seen people get off of a 30 year sentence in five you know he served more than three quarters of it yeah 
But I still don't understand why he was allowed because that transitional program because he had been in trouble the whole time he was in prison. Right. In June of 2004, uh, while awaiting trial for the murders, Frederick Bear swallowed a key that was stolen from a guard. An x-ray showed the key was in his digestive system. Authorities waited for it to pass and they repeated the x-ray the next day. This time, the key was not present. A search of his toilet revealed the key in the drain. Frederick Bear was charged with attempted escape and considering he was already facing multiple rape, burglary, and murder charges, this escape charge was really like of very little consequence. I mean, right? he's facing the death penalty. So Fred was convicted of a rape in Hamilton County and was sentenced to 80 years in prison. He was convicted of three counts of burglary in Marion County, resulting in 18 more years of prison. So now we're up to 98 years and we haven't even touched the murder yet. He received 40 more years in prison for two counts of criminal deviant conduct in Hamilton County. I think that that is sexual assaults. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what they consider deviant behavior. For a burglary in Hamilton County, he was also sentenced to another 20 years. For these crimes, not including the murder and robbery of Corey and Jenna Clark, Fred was facing 158 years in prison. So before we even get to this murder, he's pretty much going to be spending the rest of his life in prison. During jury selection, the prosecution incorrectly stated that guilty but mentally ill and legal insanity were met by the same criteria. Apparently, he said this multiple times in front of prospective jurors. He also said in front of the prospective jurors that life without parole may one day be abolished in the state of Indiana, I guess kind of nudging them to choose the death penalty. He also said that the Clark family preferred a sentence of death. The Defense did object to this, at which time the judge said he was not paying attention. Jesus. And so he denied the objection. Jeez. A jury was selected and the case went to trial in 2006. I mean, I feel mistrial coming on. It's fucky, (laughs) for lack of better words. Uh, The prosecution included... The DNA evidence found in Bear's vehicle that positively linked him to Jenna's murder. The weapons confiscated. Identification by neighbors as the man who had been seen in the neighborhood. And his own confession. Bear was no longer denying that he was the murderer, but he focused his defense on proving that he was mentally ill at the time of the crime. Dr. George Parker testified that he had examined Bear and diagnosed him with psychotic disorder. He also explained that Bear had a long history of drug abuse. Dr. Parker testified that Bear's abuse of methamphetamine was something that could disturb his mental wellness so much that it could have led to psychosis at the time of the crime. So what do you think of that? Like methamphetamine addiction as an excuse for murder? I mean, I've seen meth heads do a lot of crazy shit, but murder, not really one of them. And usually if you're talking about like intoxication, voluntary intoxication does not exclude you from the law. Right. Involuntary might, 
but not voluntary. Right. Like you chose to use methamphetamines. So if methamphetamines led you to murder someone, then that's on you, dude. Yep. The prosecution countered the defense's claim that Bear was suffering from methamphetamine-induced psychosis at the time of the crime. His friend that he claimed to have gotten high with that day denied that and said that at the time he was on parole and he wouldn't have gotten high with Fred anyway. And he was subject to routine drug testing that proved that he did not do methamphetamine with Fred. See, this dude's on parole, Fred. So how did he even get away with... I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I just don't get it unless he they just didn't have enough time to catch up with him. Right. Like on drug tests and stuff. I don't but know. I don't know. Uh, toxicology expert Dr. Michael Evans testified that blood from Frederick Bear taken 38 hours after the murders showed marijuana abuse but tested negative for methamphetamines. So I don't do meth, so I probably don't know this, but like how long do you think meth stays in your system? I have no clue. I, that's something I do not know. I mean, I would think 38 hours you would still test positive. Yeah. I would think. But uh, I don't know. I know like for shrooms, like they're, you can't do a drug test because it's basically just a form of food poisoning. And once you pass the food, or, you know, the mushroom, then it's done. Yeah. But I don't. I have no clue about meth. I mean, it's got to be in your system for a while because on the peacups, you well, can get tested for methamphetamine. And think about the baby, like babies that are born addicted to meth. Right. It's in their system for a while. So right. he probably, that's probably why the parole didn't catch up with him because he probably was lying. Right. There had been a delay of 13 months between when his blood was collected and when it was finally tested as well. So for that reason, the experts said they could not completely rule out his claim of being intoxicated on meth, but they couldn't confirm it either. The prosecution argued against Bear's claims that mental illness um, was a factor in this case. And they played that recorded phone call from that jail call to, I think it was his sister. And so this is what he says on this tape. Quote, yeah, and while we're at it to boot, let's go ahead and say you're stupid and insane. So it will make it a little easier. I don't think so. Matter of fact, I ain't got to worry about that because I'm ready to go out here to the fucking doctor, tell his stupid son of a bitch a bunch of stupid lies, end quote. I mean, you kind of just shot yourself in the foot, dude. Right. It sounds like it. The prosecution believed that this proved Bear was a manipulator. Experts for the prosecution stated that he did not meet the standard for mentally ill. It took less than four hours for a jury to find Frederick Michael Bear guilty of both murders as well as criminal confinement and burglary. For criminal for the criminal confinement charge, he was given an additional two years in prison and he was given an additional 20 years for the robbery. For the murders, the sentencing phase of the trial began to decide if Fred Bear would face lethal injection or a lifetime in prison. The prosecution cited five aggravating factors. He committed this murder while um, trying to commit a rape. 
He committed this murder while trying to commit robbery. He killed two human beings. He committed two murders while on parole. And he murdered a child under the age of 12. So this like attempted sexual assault thing. So he claims that he just couldn't go through with it. Well, bullshit. You've raped like a bunch of women. So Right. It's not like this is like against your M.O. Right. Like he acted like it was a conscious consciousness thing. Like, no, it wasn't. Um, I think probably what happened is he probably had failure to rise to the occasion and got frustrated. And I think that's why he killed her because he'd never killed anybody else before. I think he got mad. Right. And I mean, that sounds like a, a possibility. We we see that. I mean, there's been other cases that we covered where that was the case where the rapist w- couldn't perform. So. Right. So the defense then had to present their own evidence of mitigating circumstances. And they only presented one witness, Dr. Mark Cunningham. Over seven hours, Dr. Cunningham Cunningham testified that Bear's prenatal and perinatal difficulties. His mother had cancer when she was pregnant and had consumed chemotherapy medications while pregnant. She also consumed alcohol while pregnant. Bear was born weak and underweight and was malnourished as a child. He further testified that Bear had a difficult time in school. He had spent time in and out of foster care, struggled with ADHD, had a history of a head injury, and that he had abused multiple drugs, including alcohol, inhalants, methamphetamines, and other drugs. Dr. Cunningham suggested that the drug abuse had caused severe damage to Fred's brain. The defense did not ask the doctor, though, if their client met the standard for mentally ill. So what do you think? Do you think that those mitigating circumstances outweigh the aggravating? Nope. Me neither. Not at all. And neither did the jury. On June 9th, 2005, the same jury that found him guilty sentenced Fred Bear to death. On death row, Frederick Bear quickly became the most hated inmate on death row. Right. Um, There is a documentary with Sir Trevor McDonald. You can watch it on YouTube and they interview Fred and several other death row inmates and like it seems like a lot of the there's like eight now I think in Indiana on death row um it seems like at least several of them are there for killing a cop so you've got these men in there on death row for killing a cop and now you've got somebody that comes in that's a serial rapist and murdered a, a four-year-old child so he is like the most hated person in there um in the documentary he's shown playing with a black cat that he's allowed to keep in his cell do you know they let death row inmates have cats i didn't know that um apparently not just death row inmates but in indiana if you meet certain requirements and have good behavior or some crap you can keep a cat so he gets a pet while he's on death row awesome isn't that nice um During the interview, he talks about his exercise routine and a pen pal girlfriend he has in Germany. And, like, he's just proud of himself. You can tell. Yeah. 
Fred says that he is glad that he's on death row because he's segregated from the other inmates. Otherwise, he said he likely would have been killed in the general prison population. Well, yeah. Yeah, if he would have went to Gen Pop at all, he would have died. Like, I, we, and he probably deserved it. So do you think lethal injection or putting him in general population for life without parole would be more of a punishment? Well, I mean... Probably like serial rapist goes to Gen Pop, and and on he like he murdered a kid on top of that. Like he's not lasting very long. I don't know. I almost think that might be more justified. Yeah. Frederick Bear exhausted most of his appeals by 2018. The United States Seventh District of Appeals reversed Bear's death sentence that year. They cited ineffective counsel. I figured as much. Yeah, it, it came down to the prosecutor's inappropriate comments during jury selection that misled the jury to believe that mentally ill and insanity were the same and telling the jury that the family wanted the death penalty prior to the trial. Um, he suggested life without parole might be abolished. So he was really pushing that death sentence and it seemed like that's how the jury was chosen. Right. Uh, additionally, the defense attorneys failed to ask their own witness if Bear met the standard for guilty but mentally ill. So his attorneys did mess up. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give them that. They did. So they reversed his death uh, sentence and the state prepared to seek the death penalty again during resentencing. Of anybody that deserves the death penalty, it's Fred Bear. Yeah, most definitely. But the Clark family requested that they be spared the years of future appeals as Bear fights his death sentence. So if he got resentenced to death, his appeals process would start all over again. Right. And what, 20, 25 years of appeals and and courts and different things. I don't think a lot of people realize how traumatic a death penalty case can be for the victim's family. Not because they don't want him dead, but because they have to go through it over and over They have to relive this all the, like, numerous times. Exactly. And the Clark family didn't want to do that. They had already been through numerous court hearings, and they just had this constantly rehash all of this trauma. So they asked the prosecutor to make a deal with Fred Bear. Fred Bear was given a plea agreement. He was released from death row into the prison's general population to serve two terms of life without parole, in addition to the nearly 200 years he was serving for his other crimes. Fred Bear will die in prison, but he's not going to die by lethal injection. And it's crazy because when you watch this documentary, you see all these other guys that like, yeah, they did horrible things. Like they shot a cop like that's terrible you shouldn't do that but you're they're pri- still sitting on death row and this piece of shit isn't right like i have a problem with that he might die of old age or he might have written his own destiny and may end up getting prison violence that causes prison his justice. death exactly i'm uh, surprised it hasn't happened already i know i know This case struck me for so many reasons. I mean, obviously, what happened is horrific. Right. But also watching these documentaries and watching how he talks and behaves. And he is a sociopath. Not a doubt about it. I'm going to have to watch that uh, Sir Trevor McDonald 
Yeah, you YouTube. are. Because um, I know you, like when you were watching it, you were getting all pissed off about it. Yeah, because he's gross. I know. No, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. Like, it just, it unnerved me. This whole case just unnerves me. It's one of the worst I think we've ever covered. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not a torture, but it might as well have been. And I just cannot believe of all the people on death row that he got to leave death row. Right. I it mean, granted. It just doesn't seem fair. I still think he should fry, but I mean, at least he's never getting out again. Exactly. And the family can not have to relive right. this over they can, and over. They can try. They can start remembering. Exactly. Or not processing. I did reach out to the family, or at least who I thought was the family on Facebook, and I never did get any responses. Um, so, I mean, I tried. My guess is if it is them, they don't want to be involved. Right. So, and I get that. That yep. makes sense to me. Yep. So, that is why I titled this A Crime Most Vile, because this is one of the most vile crimes. It's disgusting. And I cannot believe Fred Bear is free. The only thing I'm, or well, he's not free, but he's not on death row. Right. Um, the only thing I can hope is that he gets prison justice. Right. But not that they kill him. Just beat the shit out of him every day for the right. rest of his life. Or And rape him. Right. You know, I mean. Like, I know that's terrible. We should not be condoning that at all. But, like, it just... Certain cases just get under your skin. Eye for an eye kind of th shit. And this one got under my skin. Yep. If you guys want to see any of the pictures or information that Gina uses for any of our, for this case or any of the cases, go ahead to, and head to, God, I can't talk tonight. Go <laughs> ahead and head to the MidwestCrimeFiles.com. You can click on the link that's right there in the very beginning. And it'll take you to the most recent story. And at the very bottom are all the links and references that Gina uses to write each and every one of these stories. Like Gina said earlier at the podcast or at the beginning of the podcast, if you want to help us out and become a Patreon member, you'll get free access or you'll get access to, you know, bonus content and stuff like that. And I know that they just got another one today, so yay for them. But you can head on over to patreon.com backslash Midwest Crime Files and make like, sure to like and follow us on yeah, Facebook. Make sure to like us and follow us on Facebook. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>